ahead and um, have a word of prayer. Is that all right? Can we do that? Let, let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, and right now we are asking for the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're having uh, such an amazing Sabbath so far. I know the children are across the uh, hallway right there in the primary room are having a wonderful time here. We are singing. We have prayed with her special music. We got a chance to, to view a baptism that took place a couple of weeks ago, and, and it's all been wonderful. But right now, Father God, as we get to the scriptures this morning, we dare not open the scriptures without calling upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask for your spirit to give us wisdom, clarity, and understanding. We ask, Father God, that it be you speaking and not I, that you anoint my lips. And I also ask, Father God, that you be with my brothers and sisters here in the congregation so that your message can be understood, that you open up our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your message. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that everyone here say, Amen. Very well. So the message for today is, is uh, entitled, Hey, Pastor. Um, and, 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 you know, this is a message that, that is very dear to me. I, I was thinking about changing them because we just recently had Thanksgiving. But I, I was thinking, you know, this is actually quite fitting. So I don't know if, if you uh, have ever met any pastors who have gone through this or not. And I don't know if maybe you're the one that do this to pastors. But, but it goes something along these lines. It goes something like this, where it's like, uh, can you put the mouse directly over the PowerPoint? Click on it, please. All right, there you go. Hey, pastor, have you visited my cousin Bertha and asked her about Jesus yet? Hey, pastor, have you visited the Joneses? They haven't been to church in three weeks. Hey, pastor. Hey, pastor, have you figured out how to raise money? We need to fix the piano. Hey, pastor, have you counseled with Fred and Alice? I don't think they're getting along too well. Hey, pastor, have you planned the VVS program yet? Hey, pastor, have you picked up the paint for the primary room? Have you guys ever approached a pastor and asked things such as this? You see, this is the thing. You know, my family and I, we don't really celebrate Christmas. Uh, we don't celebrate Easter. We don't ce- celebrate a lot of the holidays. Although I- I'll still eat my tofu turkey for, for Thanksgiving, you know, because eating is a different thing, you know. That, that changes things differently. You know, we don't, we don't really, ce- really celebrate a lot of holidays and things like that. But, you know, uh, Ellen White, I love where she talks about the holidays, such as Christmas and Easter, how people who normally would never set foot in church are have a disposition to actually come to church. And they're willing to do this. Also, you know, people who normally wouldn't get together, your families, your friends, and your loved ones, will come together during those times of year. And so what better opportunity for you to minister to your loved ones? Let me tell you this. Yes, I can talk to, to your cousin Bertha. And yes, I can talk to your uncle, your brother, or your sister, or your mother's sister's dog. And that's fine. But there's no contact that I can have with them as, in, as impacting as the one that you can. You see, they've known you. And when they see the work that God has done in your life, the transformation that has taken place, you are the best person possible to minister to your loved ones. You have the opportunity to do that. I, as a pastor, can't embrace it all. As much as I try to be in two places at once, I have not been able to do that yet successfully. And that's the reason why my family is still wrapping up their vacation in Orlando. And I got in this morning so that I can be here with you. They'll join me again sometime tomorrow. So guess what? All of those Christmas parties you're having and all of those various things, I can't be in all of them, but you can. 
And what a better way to minister to someone. Now, in order for us to fully understand how it is that we're supposed to function, pastor, parishioners, we need to understand the Trinity of God. And so let's go ahead and look at Ephesians 1.1. We're going to look right at the beginning of Ephesians 1. And we're going to read through this. And if you have it, you can say amen if you're going to look in your Bibles. I have it up on the screen. And it says the following. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, are faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 3, blessed be the God and Father for our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, just as he, meaning God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Five, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And verse 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood for the, for, uh, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. And 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Verse 10, it says, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in what? In him, 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And the last three verses, that he who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, exactly what is that all long verses? We read 14 verses, or rather I read to your hearing. Do you notice any of the following? Number one, the Father has chosen us. So what does the Father do? He chose us, right? The Son has redeemed us. What is it that the Son has done? Redeemed us. And then the Spirit, on verse 13, has sealed us. Do you notice how God the Father didn't try to do it all? And how Jesus didn't try to do it all, all by himself. And the Spirit didn't try to do it all by himself. The Trinity itself has a dynamic where the Father chooses us, the Son redeems us, and the Spirit seals us. In verse 10, I had a bold and underlined, but we'll read it again because in here is the heart of the matter. Look what it says. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in what? Or in whom? In him. There's a book called Spiritual Bodybuilding Lessons, page 31. Look what it says. The Trinity is trying to establish the unity and wholeness 
that was tragically demolished by sin. From racial discrimination to shatter families. From financial oppression to gang wars. The Godhead is trying desperately to heal broken lives and unite people in love. That's what the Trinity is trying to do. And it takes more than just one individual. It takes an entire body. Remember when I shared with Bear earlier about how he gets baptized into the body of Christ? You are the body of Christ. Now, what was it that Christ did here when he came the, 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 to, to, to die for us on the cross? While he was here, he did many things. He touched many people. He fed many people. He shared the gospel message with many people. He did all of these things. And then at the end, he died for many people. We can't even go out of our way five minutes for people. We can't even do that for our own family. But it takes an entire body. Come on now, you can't say amen. Say ouch. Ephesians 3, 8 through 11, it says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What is our job among the Gentiles? To preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, it says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the pastor. I'm sorry, what does it say there? By the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Verses 22 and 23. And he put what? All things under his feet. And gave him to be head over what? All things to the pastor. I'm sorry. To the what? To the church. Verse 23. Which... Is his what? The fullness of him who fills all in all. God's plan is laid out. If you ever looked at Ephesians, you should read the whole book. It's a phenomenal book, but I do want to point you to chapter 4 as well. And look what it says here. We see his plan in, in a couple of areas. Number one, Ephesians 4, 7, Christ gave spiritual gifts to his church. Verse 12, spiritual gifts were given to members for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. And number three, God's plan calls for certain people to specialize in making sure that other people are able to open and use their gifts properly. In other words, some are called to work and some are called to train people and encourage people to go out and work. And that is very crucial. Now, don't take it from me. Let's look at the word of God by itself. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some what? Pastors and teachers, right? Why? Why, why did he give some to do that? Verse 12, for the what? Equipping of the saints so that they can sit down and warm up benches. I'm sorry, what does the word of God say? For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, equipping, the equipping of the saints is katartiso. 
in the Greek, and I put the whole definition in there from this cool program, Bible Works, just copy and paste it. So you see the various definitions, and I underline one of them, but to render, to fit, sound, complete, to mend what has been broken or rent, to repair, to complete, to fit, out, equip, put in order, arrange, adjust, to fit or frame for oneself, prepare ethically, to strengthen, perfect, complete, make one what he ought to be. Okay? And so look at the idea that equipping carries. Mending church members. Fitting them. Teaching them. Molding them. Training them to utilize their God-given gifts and talents. Are we good? This is biblical. Pastors, apostles, teachers, and, you know, pastors and teachers and, and prophets and so forth for the equipping. So that you can go out and work. I have to tell you, right now, you know, with Teresa, uh, you know, she's in the hospital. You know, I'll go visit and stuff like that. But if I can't make it out there, people who are in hospital shouldn't feel, well, if the pastor didn't come visit me, then no one came to visit me. No, church members can go visit you too just because they're not pastors. It doesn't mean that no one visited you. You could have 50 people visit and the pastor didn't come. No one visited me from that church. And you know what? As much as I appreciate the value that you give a minister... We are truly hurting ourselves, and we are going against the biblical model. We are going against what the scriptures say. And I'm not saying this, you know, just because I really want you to understand. Listen to the following two scenarios, and, and, and I want to make sure that, that you um, let me know what, what you think about this. Which one do you think is better? So imagine that, you know, right now I've been preparing a little bit. I'm going to go to Puerto Rico uh, in January, my brother and I are going to go help my dad rebuild his house. And um, my dad's house, where he's at, he's right in the center of the island, Orokovis, right in the center of the island. And what they're doing in the major cities, they're trying to bring power back quickly because that's where, you know, main hospitals and car dealers and malls and all of those things that keep the economy going, they're doing that. But in the country, in the mountains, where there's nothing really that matters, a little corner store here and there, and that's it, if you could call it that. They're estimating at least a year before they get electricity. Now, Puerto Ricans are like Floridians. I don't know if you've seen those signs, you know, construction. We're going to finish on the spring of 2017. And then comes summer of 2017, you see a big sign over it. Uh, <clears throat> correction, uh, fall of 2017. And you come fall, correction, spring of 2018. There's a Highway 19 in St. Pete that was supposed to be finished my first year in St. Pete. Seven years later, the sign keeps adjusting. There's a building on I-4 that was supposed to have been finished like 15 years ago or something like that. And it's still a sore eye on I-4. It's just amazing how we do these things with construction. So when they tell my dad and his family there in Puerto Rico that we're going you know, to be with electricity for at least a year, it could be a whole lot more. And so we're going to go out there. And try to figure out what we're going to do, you know, with our power tools, whatever. I mean, mixing cement and stuff, it's actually okay. We could do it the old-fashioned way, you know, and, and do that. But the point is that um, when I'm getting ready to go out there, and I'm doing a trip to Iceland in June as well. So when I'm getting ready to look to go to these remote places, I'm already thinking in my head, man, I got to bring a first aid kit. I know the water in Puerto Rico is not that good, so I got to make sure I load up some charcoal and, and some of those water bottles that have the little filter inside and, and, and make sure that I get, you know, Imodium and, and all this other cool stuff that you need to bring with you 
when you're out there just, just facing the wild. And, and so I'm preparing for all of these things, and, and I make sure that I load up on everything because, you see, years ago, about 80 pounds ago, I was a lifeguard, then became a lifeguard instructor, then became a Red Cross CPR first aid instructor, then became a, a medic and an EMT and so forth. And so, so one of the things that they trained us in, in these things is that when you get to a place where an emergency has happened, you take care of life-threatening emergencies first. So if you arrive at a room and somebody has a broken leg, somebody has a broken arm, somebody has a broken arm and a leg, and somebody's unconscious, you'll take care of the unconscious person first. You take care of life-threatening emergencies first. And that is wonderful in a small setting. Now imagine a mass chaotic disaster, like the earthquakes that happened in in Mexico, like three of them, back to back to back to, to back. Or like the hurricanes in Puerto Rico, two of them back to back. And and so imagine a huge disaster. There's no communication. You are there, and I'm the only one trained at the scene. And I could go down and take care of all of the weaker people first, those who are seriously injured, and I'm there exhausted, just helping and mending and controlling bleeding and doing all of those things. And if you use one of those acronyms like RICE or whatever, you know, you you, whatever it is that you use, you're, you're learning, you're working all of that. And three days later, you're still at it. There's still many people out there who are already dying, who are already struggling. And I'm running around. And after three days nonstop, I just can't anymore. I'm just too exhausted. I'm just too drained. And the people end up dying anyhow. Or I can be in a mass disaster chaotic area and suddenly look for the stronger people the one who just has a messed up arm. And I said, look, you could do the other one for controlling bleeding. Apply direct pressure. Just, just hold on to the stuff right here. Maybe I could send others. Hey, you, I, I know you're hopping a little bit, but see if you could get some food for us. Get some water. Get some bandages. You know, start making some things. Rip some shirts and disinfect them with this. Imagine that I go to the stronger people, spend some time with them. And yes, it might take an hour to, 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 to give them a quick crash course on what to do. But now for the next three or four days, it's not just me and all of us out there. There are a team of people bringing water, bringing food, taking care of others. Which scenario do you think is best? Absolutely. And I want to ask you a question. I know that there's no major disaster out here, but, but, but spiritually speaking, have you noticed what's happening in the world around us? It makes me sick to my stomach. I, I try to read the local newspaper app just so that I know what's happening in the community that, that I'm pastoring in. And it just breaks my heart just in this area alone, all of the things that are happening. You know, all of these things with, with, with women accusing men and all of these things with fraternities being suspended because of suspicious death under hazings and all of these investigations that are happening. Just chaos everywhere. Babies left somewhere. Fires happening. Accidents and so forth. I mean, all around you see we are living in a mass chaotic disaster. And there seems to be no end in sight. We are in a world where there is no hope. We are in a world where the body of Christ really needs to merge and not just one individual doing that. I mean, to to say that the work is dependent on just a few key people in the church is to say that I collapsed. And my pinky is conscious and it's trying to drag me out to the car to get me to the hospital. Could you picture a pinky dragging all of this? It's not going to work, is it? Try as he may. And that's the challenge. Now, you know, this is, this is something that, that I want you to, you know, keep in mind. Let's go ahead and read some, some quotes from here. 
Look what it says. In all his work, he was training them, meaning the disciples, for individual labor to be extended as their numbers increase and eventually to reach to the outermost parts of the earth. Now, is this something that is just a lazy thing? And I put that on there because I want you to understand a prayer from a pastor who wrote a book, uh, Cook Regal, uh, his book, Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness. Look what he says. He says, I still remember the day when I had to get out of my chair in my office and fall flat on my face on the rug, asking God to forgive me. Because he had shown me clearly that I would be held responsible for every ministry I stole from my people, and I had a list of them. I asked God to show me how to avoid that in the future. Testimonies, volume 9, page 189. It says, if we humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous and tenderhearted and pitiful, there would be 100 conversions to the truth where now there's only one. We saw a little video earlier of a baptism that took place a few weeks ago. We have bears stand up here. Could you imagine if that would have been 100 people standing up here? Simply if we as a church will humble ourselves and be pitiful and kind and tenderhearted. And it's not pitiful and humbling yourselves like in a negative thing. It really means that you are out there just completely steaming others better than yourselves. Isn't that somewhere in the Bible? That we ought to steam others better than ourselves? And if we really went about our daily lives doing that... What a difference would it make? The strongest argument in favor of the gospel, Ministry of Healing, page 470, is a loving and lovable Christian. Let me tell you, you people, I have met some unlovable Christians. And I struggle with that. Last week, I did a week of prayer. Not this week, sorry. Not the Thanksgiving week. The week before, did a week of prayer at the school. And we were going over the Ten Commandments. We were doing two per day. And you know that commandment, that, that one that starts about, that shall not mention the Lord's name in vain, right in the beginning four commandments, remember? Don't mention the Lord's name in vain. Do you know when you call yourself a Christian and you don't behave like a Christian, that's mentioning the Lord's name in vain? It's not just hammering your finger and crying out the name of Jesus. Because when I'm in pain, I call on Jesus but no, no, it's not, it's not that. It's when you call yourself a Christian and you behave differently. Come on now. You can't say amen. Say ouch. Man will believe not what the minister preaches, but what the church, what? Lives. Absolutely. And then the last quote for today says, God could have reached his object in saving sinners. By the way, this quote's my favorite. You will hear me say this every time I get a chance. God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. But in order for us to develop a character like Christ, in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. In order to enter into, the, into his joy, the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice, we must participate in his labors for their redemption. And so understand that when elders and pastors... When we take over the work that you ought to be doing, we are crippling God's plan. We're going against the very thing that he wanted to do. It is for all of us to work. You know, Bear, you just joined the church today. You know, you know I already had asked you at the beach before the baptism, are you willing to support this church with the gifts and, and the talents that God has blessed you with? And I talked to him about that. Frank, we haven't talked yet. You know, you got baptized a month ago. Welcome to, to North Florida, brother. I know you're from South Florida, and hopefully I look forward to you becoming a member of this church. And then we got to talk about how you're going to work and serve in this church. And there's many of you who have recently moved into the area. Join the body of Christ. Join this church. Let's go ahead and put you to work. Because why? 
It is part of character building. It is part of character building. Develop, de- developing a character like what? What does it say in that quote? A character like Christ. Isn't there something in the Bible about by beholding it is that we become changed? You know, I have no problem loving lovable people, but there are some people that are just so difficult to love. And, and, and let me guess, I'm going to get good at loving them by staying away from them. Because that's how it works. Just like I get really good at basketball by practicing tennis. Right? Yeah, is that how it works? The only way is by truly beholding. And this is how God designed it. And so there's a task and a responsibility that falls on the leadership, which is to train and equip you for a good work so that you could go out there and carry out the ministry of God. Pastors are always going to come and go. It is not a question of if, but when. And that is my prayer. Whether or not the next guy is the best guy, the greatest guy, or the worst guy, it doesn't matter because the body of Christ, with Christ being the head, will function regardless of who the minister is that has been assigned for the next couple of weeks here, or the next couple of years, or the next couple of months, or the next couple of decades. Who cares about who the pastor is? The question is, who are you and who is Lord over you? And so it is my prayer as you go visit family, as they come to visit you, that you really keep in mind that you are all ministers. That you really keep in mind that there's no one other than you better equipped to share the truth and the gospel message about who Christ is and the God of love who sent his son to die for you and for me. So it is my prayer that you take that to heart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Let us go ahead and have a word of prayer. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we come before you. And I ask, Father God, that you be with all of us here as we consider over the next couple of months. Uh, you know, I, some of us, I don't know if they party like Puerto Ricans do where Christmas lasts to like February. But whatever we're doing, Father God, we ask as we come in contact with family, with friends, with loved ones, with co-workers and office parties, that you give us an opportunity, that you present opportunities for us to share with them who you are so that the God of heaven the Son who died for us, and the Holy Spirit who seals us and equips us can be revealed and manifested for them. May you bless us and keep us as we do our best to make you proud as part of your body and you being the head. Bless us and keep us right now. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.